The Nemertines, from the Doctor Who Annual 1984, read by John Coleshaw. Well, Doctor, it's certainly nice to see you again, said Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart, as he sat drinking tea with his three guests at Unit Headquarters. What brings you here, eh? Business or pleasure? Oh, purely pleasure at the moment, the Doctor replied, smiling. Since we were in this time zone, so to speak, we thought we'd drop in and see our old friends at Unit. What's going on in Britain these days, Brigadier? Anything of interest to us? The Brigadier laughed. Well, not really. Unless you can spot any aliens amongst my staff. No, it's been very quiet recently. So we've been indulging in some scientific research. That might interest you, Doctor. We've constructed a mini Dead Sea and we're testing its potential for producing energy. But they've been testing that for years, said Tegan. There's nothing secret about that. The Brigadier smiled at her. No, there isn't. But we're testing the power rate of waves in water with extremely high levels of salt content. And although it's all highly top secret, I can tell you that we've achieved remarkable results. Anyway, our scientists are working hard on it at the moment. Like to see it? I warn you, though, there's very little to see, other than a huge tank filled with water. Tegan and Turlo exchanged glances. Intercepting them, the doctor shook his head, smiling. Not today, thank you, Brigadier. I rather think... The telephone rang on the Brigadier's desk. Excuse me, he said, and picked up the receiver. In the quiet room, the urgent tone of the voice on the other end of the line was clearly heard. The Brigadier frowned as he listened. Yes, right away, he said shortly, and put the receiver down. It seems that we have a problem. The Thames at Westminster is crawling with worms. Worms? echoed Tegan. What, ordinary earthworms? asked Turlow. The brigadier shook his head. No. These seem to be mutants of some sort. They've caught one. Apparently it was taken off the body of a man the police fished out of the river just now. The doctor stood up. May I ask if it would be possible for us to accompany you? The brigadier smiled. I was about to ask you, doctor. It seems that there's more here than would at first appear. Oh, it's nice to be back in London, exclaimed Tegan, as they arrived at the Houses of Parliament. But you're Australian, protested Turlow. How many times have you actually been to London? Tegan thrust her nose into the air. That hardly matters. I like the place and it is nice to be here again. You might think so now, said the doctor. But I have a feeling that you might not like the place so much in a minute. This might be nasty. As usual, the doctor was correct. By the side of the river, a group of police officers and unit staff were gathered clustered around something on the ground. Move aside, please, said the brigadier, as he and his three companions made their way through the uniformed people. Doctor, what is it? asked Tegan in horror, as finally they reached the centre of the group and looked down at the thing on the ground. It was small, shriveled, and covered in slime, the colour of a dried, dead leaf, and wrinkled disgustingly but it was still wearing the remnants of some clothes. A small scrap of dull red material clung to the thing, 
This is all that's left of a man who set off to go canoeing earlier today on the river, said one of the senior policemen standing by. And this is what was clinging to him when he was pulled out. He held up a specimen jar, filled with water. In it writhed a greenish-grey object, almost translucent, with a gaping mouth at one end, about which livid white suckers pulsated and trembled. It was long, from what the doctor could see, about the size of a small snake. Interesting, remarked the doctor, taking the jar and studying the creature closely through the thick glass. What is it? asked Tegan, wrinkling her nose at the thing. Looking at it with the naked eye, said the doctor, and it would be a lot easier to classify it under the microscope. I would say that this creature resembles a nematine. A what? A nematine, repeated the doctor. A sort of freshwater worm. They're quite common. Doctor, put in the brigadier, may I remind you that the laboratories and scientific equipment are readily available to you and to you too, should they be needed. The doctor turned to him. Thank you. This friendly I think we shall have to be examined. Have you any idea how many there are in this area of the Thames? Doctor, interrupted Tegan. If these nematines are freshwater creatures, what are they doing here? Good point, said the brigadier. The Thames is salty for some distance, although not strongly saline by any means. The doctor looked thoughtfully at the writhing creature in the jar. When I said it resembled a nematine, that is what I meant. The creature might look a bit like one, but in fact it is very different. As you say, Tegan, it is a freshwater creature in salt water, which is odd. And judging solely by its appearance, the worm seems to have adjusted itself quite well. We shall have to find out how when I examine it. What do you think those suckers are for? asked the brigadier, peering at the worm. You don't think it had anything to do with that poor chap over there? The doctor nodded. I should think it very likely. The man appears to me to have had all his body fluid drained off, maybe sucked out by these endearing little things. How disgusting! exclaimed Tegan. What on earth for? It would have to be checked under a microscope, said the doctor. But it may have something to do with the salt level in the water and the salt level in the body of the animal. Don't call it an animal, said Tegan suddenly. I always think of animals as being soft and furry, and that thing certainly isn't. Don't be silly, said Turlow scornfully. But the doctor laughed. I know exactly what she means. Now, Brigadier, where are these laboratories? I'll take you there, said the Brigadier. Now, said the doctor, the problem is whether we kill this thing outright, or just take samples from its body. How are you going to make it keep still long enough to take samples? asked Turlow. Doesn't look very happy to me. I don't think it has a right to be happy, put in Tegan. Nasty thing. That's a moot point, said the doctor. But Turlow's right, it doesn't look at all happy. The worm had stopped writhing in the jar, and now hung in the water its suckers pulsating feebly. It had a bloated look about it, and its colour seemed to be fading to a dirty greyish white. Is this water from the river? asked the doctor. Yes, said one of the unit scientists. 
When the worm was pulled off the body of that poor man, the jar was filled straight from the Thames. Right, said the doctor. The first thing to do then is to test the salt content of that water. There won't be very much salt in there, warned the brigadier. That's what I'm hoping for, said the doctor, smiling. He opened the jar and picked up a pipette from the bench in front of him. Do you understand all this? asked Turlow, turning to Tegan. She pulled a face. Well, no, not quite. But I'm beginning to get an idea of something from the biology lessons I had at school. Well, I'm glad you're so clear about everything, said Turlow sulkily. Would somebody like to let me in on the secret? You were right, Brigadier, said the doctor triumphantly. He held up the jar. The water is only very slightly salty. And look at the creature now. The worm's slimy body was swelling still further. It almost filled the jar, and the water level seemed to have dropped. Of course you realise what's happening, said the doctor. No, said Turlow. I don't understand this at all. Osmosis, said the doctor simply. That's all it is. This creature has peculiar cells. At least you'd call them peculiar for this animal in its normal state. I'm not sure what caused it to happen, but something made this creature mutate from the harmless little worm it once was, is what we have here. Now, part of this mutation was that the body cells changed, and the walls of these cells allow water through. I see, said Turlow. So why were you so interested in the salt content of the water? Because, said the doctor, when they came into salt water, these creatures had to establish and maintain a stable salt content in their own bodies to correspond with that in the Thames water, or they would simply dry out as a result of osmosis. What happens in this process is that when you have a cell wall like this, water will pass through it into a more concentrated solution on the other side. Do you see? When this creature arrived in the salt water, it had to take in salt so that its body fluids wouldn't all pass out to be swelling, said the brigadier. Yes, said the doctor. Now, this one was found clinging to the body of the man, wasn't it? He, as I said, had his body fluids sucked out of him. And we all know that his body fluids are salty. In fact, this worm had gorged itself on the salt, and so was more salty than the water in which it was found. Osmosis works both ways. The water at the moment is flowing into this creature's body cells and swelling them up. It can only do this for a short time, though, until the worm's body is so bloated that no more water can possibly get in. If... When this happens, the worm is still in the water. It will die. Wonder how many of these things there are in the Thames, said Tegan. It's going to be difficult to get rid of them all, isn't it? Yes, how many do you think there are? asked the brigadier. As the young lady says, how do we round them all up? And what made them all come from their freshwater habitat anyway? Oh, I can answer that, sir, said one of the unit officers who was standing nearby. We had an urgent message from a chemical plant up near Oxford. They'd dumped some highly toxic top-secret waste in the river by accident about a week ago, and, much to their credit, reported it straight away, so that something could be done about it. And what was done about it? asked the doctor. Well, our scientists talked to them, discovered what the waste consisted of, and neutralised it in the river. That would seem to be the cause of the problem, the doctor said. Whatever was in the water at Oxford must have had this drastic effect on the worms. What was the toxin? The officer told him. Oh, yes, said the doctor. That would do it. 
and it would also, in concentration, have a stunning effect on the nematines, which would mean they're drifting downriver, mutating as they came without causing any disturbance as they did so. And they would have woken up. When? Yesterday or the day before? Yes, but how many are there likely to be in there? asked Tegan. Would the mutating have had any effect on their reproduction? Speeding it up, I mean? I would imagine it would slow it down considerably, said the doctor. Firstly being out cold for five or six days, and then having frantically to extract salt from the water. Must have had a dampening effect on them, wouldn't you say? So how do we get rid of the wretched things? demanded the brigadier. It's all very well going into details about how they got here, but they must be got rid of. I agree, said the doctor. And I think I might know how to do it. But it all depends on you, and on Unit. On us? Yes, we shall need about a ton of salt in one solid lump, and something large enough to lift both it and all those worms out of the water, without losing any of the sides. That means using something like a diving bell, said the Brigadier musingly. Now where can we lay our hands on one of those in a hurry? Sir, said his subordinate. Why can't we make use of that new fabric that the scientists have been developing? The brigadier nodded approvingly at him and turned to the doctor. This fabric is a revolutionary new type of plastic, totally waterproof, very strong indeed, coated with a substance which is, at the moment, highly secret. But will this plastic be strong enough to hold all that salt, plus the weight of the nematines and a lot of water? asked the doctor. One of the unit scientists stepped forward. I think it will, he said. At the moment it's in the later stages of testings, and I think it will be strong enough. Good, said the doctor briskly. In that case, we shall need as much of it as you can lay your hands on, a large high-sided vehicle, and a large tank, Brigadier. May we borrow your mini Dead Sea? Certainly, said the Brigadier, and he began to give orders to his staff. Doctor, said Tegan. I thought you intended to kill these things by osmosis. So I do, said the doctor. Then why do you want to borrow the mini Dead Sea? The water's almost entirely salt. That's right, said the doctor. And that's what'll kill them. It's osmosis the other way around. Have you ever seen a slug that's had salt put on it? All the body fluids which are less salty than the surroundings of the slug leave the body and dry it up. Just like that poor canoeist put in Turlo. Exactly, said the doctor. A large crowd of people had gathered to see what was going on in the Thames, and the police were having difficulty in keeping them back behind the barriers. Unit staff and police stood in a group near the huge tank, which had been brought down to London from unit headquarters, and now stood, waiting for its temporary occupants. Beside it was a tall crane, from the arm of which was suspended an enormous transparent bag. A block of salt the size of a small car could be seen through the bag, which was being lowered into the water of the river. Do you think this is going to work? Tegan asked, doubtfully. I hope so, replied the doctor. What if it doesn't? asked Turlow. We'll see what happens before we start considering that, the doctor said grimly. The bag disappeared below the grey surface of the water. For a moment, nothing happened. Then there was a sudden commotion in the river, as if the creatures there had scented the salt they craved. The water around the area of the bag seethed 
and churned and foamed. There must be thousands of them, muttered the doctor. I hope that bag's big enough. The water calmed down and became still. Bring it up, said the doctor shortly. The crane began to lift the heavy load. As the bag broke the surface, the onlookers could see through its transparent walls a mass of struggling shapes, writhing and wriggling their way through to the block of salt. The bag was all but full. Ugh! exclaimed Tegan. I can't look! She turned away and gazed at the people behind the barriers. Their eyes were fixed on the bag. What's happening now? she asked Turlow. They're clear of the water and rising, said Turlow. Listen, I'm not going to give you a running commentary. Look for yourself. Tegan turned her head cautiously. The bag was on a level with her head. The worms inside, horribly close, struggling and squirming inside that the delicate Hundreds of suckers pulsating, livid white. Disgusting. The bag continued to rise, directed by the brigadier and the doctor, until it was directly over the huge tank. Then it began to descend very slowly until it touched the surface of the water and began to sink beneath it. As the bag disappeared beneath the water, there was a tremendous uproar. Lashing worm bodies thrashed the salt water into foam, as if the water itself was boiling. Tegan thought of slugs and salt and shuddered. At last, the water was still. The doctor craned his neck over the lip of the tank and peered in. The block of salt was almost gone, still inside its plastic bag. Floating in the water were thousands of shriveled white husks, all that remained of the nematines. It worked, said the doctor quietly. There was a burst of applause from the unit staff and police, which he acknowledged modestly. Thank you, doctor, said the brigadier, smiling. We could always rely on you. The doctor smiled back. Oh, I'm sure your own scientist would have done just the same. Tegan tapped him on the arm. Can we go soon? She asked. I don't feel too well, if you know what I mean. She's squeamish, remarked Turlow, amused. Oh dear, said the doctor. I was going to suggest that we had fish and chips for tea, but I suppose that's out now, isn't it? Don't! said Tegan, looking green. Fish and chips make me think of salt, and I couldn't bear that. Not just yet, 